It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Drive, with my co-host, the Joe Rogan apology to my social media feed, Nick Braccia. Nick, it's good to be on with you. Joe Rogan, after all the controversy involving a lot of his guests that came on talking about how vaccines are evil and will destroy your life and existence, um, made a kind of a sort of semi-apology about the fact that he hasn't been doing his own research and, and you know his lack of ability to question these folks. Um, what were your thoughts on that, on the apology? I thought it was a legit and earnest apology. Like, here's the thing. I mean, people are comparing Rogan to Alex Jones, and I don't want to be a Rogan defender here because it's just a bad look, but he's he doesn't have a double-down evil agenda like, like a Rush Limbaugh or even a Sean Hannity or an Alex Jones. He's not playing a shtick. He is just a stoner who likes talking to people. The real sin is he is not considered um, the responsibility that comes with his success. So I think he's I, – I don't think Joe Rogan's a bad guy. I think he's a kind of – I just think he's kind of a he's, – he's kind of an idiot. And I think he would tell you he's an idiot. But he – so I, I thought that as mea culpas go – it was quite kind. He expressed affinity for Neil Young and Joni Mitchell. He 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 apologized for not having more balanced content editorially, and his notion of um, hearing from different qual you know qualified and credentialed experts um, isn't a bad way to approach his show. What's bad is his curation and programming um, isn't isn't thoughtful enough during times that are extremely tempestuous. So I I stopped I stopped really listening to his show cuz I couldn't I just you know I just, it's just honestly it's just like a bad look and it stopped being fun um when I thought that that a lot of his audience had started to like weaponize um some of his guests during this time but I don't I a lot of my friends think he's just like straight evil I think I think he's just a, I think he's just a, a comedian having weird people a stoner comedian having weird people over his house to to talk and hasn't thought and hasn't thought through the consequences of that um nor really understood how those consequences shifted when he took a billion dollars from spotify so i think i think his main sin is just being kind of dumb not not being uh not being a, i don't think he's a monster the way that uh like Jones, I think Alex Jones and Rush Limbaugh are, or were in the case of, of Limbaugh, and um, I thought the I thought the apology was uh, was legitimate and and well well stated. Yeah, with him, I think it's tricky. He basically has a bunch of these guests on, and these guests are, are each individually well researched to back up their perspective, right? And and he not being researched on that subject, whatever subject that may be, let's say politics or, or you know, opinion on vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. And so he can't really question them properly. And so they get to get their kind of word out, their propaganda out, whatever, whatever perspective they hold. And he can't really question them adequately. I think propaganda is a strong word in that he's not getting like cranks off the street. He's getting people with with 
Ivy League medical school degree. Like, what he's doing is he's putting a lot of stock into their credentials. But they're but they are legitimate credentials. You know, these are people uh, that essentially want to come on his show because of the stance that he took on vaccines, right? And so already there's like there's almost there's almost an inherent viewpoint that you're going to that you're going to want to go in there with for those that are uh, kind of grifting on that side of things. And granted, again, there's propaganda on all sides. It's not like it's, it's a one-sided issue, but, but just the fact that he uh, opened the floodgates for all of these people with all of these perspectives to come in, right? Rather than the 95% of scientists that say this, he is talking to the 5% of scientists that say the opposite of this because it lines up with his stance on not getting vaccinated. Well, he's... Yeah, he's he's looking for count for counter perspectives. Well, he's he's not looking for fluid. I, I think I think looking for counter perspectives is his new kind of policy, which I think makes sense. Like you want to get somebody with the opposite opinion on your next episode to give people uh, a more balanced view on uh, on a subject, right? Whereas recently he's been having just a whole bunch of people. Like for example, you're ta- you talked about it, Alex Jones. He had a he had a sequence of he had a sequence of them back to back, which was um, which was poor, which was very poor programming. You're talking about Alex Jones, and he had that doctor uh, that uh, was part of the origination of the mRNA technology to make vaccines, right? He had that doctor on. Um, That same doctor went on Alex Jones, except on Alex Jones, he was way more extreme and way more insane in his opinions and views, right? And so if you watch him on Joe Rogan, you might think, oh, this is like, there's some logic here. And then when you watch him on Alex Jones, you realize he's absolutely fucking crazy. Yeah, that's But these are the people that Joe Rogan has on the show. It's. Yeah, but I but I really. By the way, Alex Jones. This is a case of if of ir, it's. Let me finish my statement. Well, I was told I think in it's the irresponsible line, booking. <laughs> I thought you see. Well, you stopped to drink. I saw you drinking. <laughs> um, anyway, I'll interrupt that. Anyway. I think it's. I think it's irresponsible booking more than more than it's an than it's an agenda he's sticking to. And I think the fact that instead of doubling down, he's apologized and and committed to shifting his policy back backs up my viewpoint. Oh, listen, I, I agree. I don't think he's trying to necessarily create this narrative. I do think that he's interested in talking to people that have similar opinions as him. I think that he is easily, I think he's just like most of us, easily oh, yeah. tricked by a person that seems like an expert on a subject, right? And he's going to he's going to tend to uh, take on the opinions on some of the friendly people that he talks to he's for hours naturally. Exactly. He's very, he's, right. he's, he's very, yeah, he's very, he's very impressionable. And he's someone who's pers- he's also agreeable, um, so his perspective is going to be aligned most likely with the last person he talked to. Right. R- so right. It's, it makes him kind of it, it makes him you know maybe not the maybe not the best guy for the job, but I it's so uh, yeah it's uh, I can I can understand the the vitriol, and I'm not really a fan of his any the way that I was a few years ago, but I also don't you know I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a force for evil. I just think he's kind of a goof. And I think he, I think he would agree with that. I don't think his intention is to be evil, but it, but when you like, when you get, have a bunch of experts that say like, if more people get vaccinated, like we can potentially, we can reduce the the number of deaths in the country. And then Joe Rogan says like, oh, like I'm not worried about it. I'm I'm a I'm a healthy guy. You don't have to get it if you're healthy. And then again, he dives into that, bringing on all of these guests with these fairly extreme views. And listen, it's okay to have a different opinion on the subject for me. I'm totally comfortable with that. It's just. You know, I think it was Ben Parker that 
said Nick, with great power comes great responsibility. When you have 30 million people that, that follow you, that listen to Agreed. you, I you've got to be more researched. You've got to have more nuance to your, to your guests. You've got to have more variety in, in the opinions that you bring on. He had Sun, uh, Sanjay Gupta on at some point, right? So, so like if you can get the mainstream opinion as well as the, as well as the non-mainstream opinion on more regularly, I think that would work. He's had lots of main, he's had lots of mainstream opinions on. Yes. He's also had on Less people so recently, who swear that he's and I and I, you know I've watched the shows. He's had on people who swear they've worked on alien technology. Right, like it's <laughs> right. And then he's had other other guests come on and say those got that guy is full of shit. Like it's. Um, and, and, and again, in his, in his apology, he's committed to doing more research, which he absolutely needs to do. You can't have like Dan Crenshaw on, uh, or Ben Shapiro on or, or whoever, or Bernie Sanders on anybody and, and not be able to actually like engage with them on the nuances of those policies that they're kind of propagating, right? You have to, yeah, they, they should, they shouldn't be able to, to grants to grandstand freely, but I mean, the problem is that some of, I think some of that is, was the draw of the show. So we'll we'll see we'll see but you're but you're right he can't you know he can't really there's consequences if you take the money and have it the same and you're going to have guests on about polarizing subjects right. if everyone's on talking about ancient ancient civilizations and 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 drugs that you take in the Amazon he might only like, have like ten million okay. followers rather than thirty it's go <laughs> go it's like go for it that shit that shit's fun and it's less it's it's stoner talk and. Um, it's uh, less less of a lightning rod. So yep. anyway, interesting. Most of my friends all hate him. The whole, I mean, honestly, being a being a, the like being an MMA fan right now is feels a little bit, uh, you know, like it feels a, it feels a lot worse even than wearing affliction shirts did twelve years ago. That's very um, funny, Nick. As a matter of fact, affliction shirts were of- the opposite of what's going on in MMA today because they were the kind of alternative to the UFC and they were overpaying fighters, paying fighters way more than they could possibly afford. So really, oh, well, but I mean, I mean, affliction yeah. is, I don't mean, no, I don't mean affliction as the, uh, as the fight promotion. I mean, there was that period of time where all of the fighters had, were wearing affliction walkout shirts. Yep. Yeah. No, um, no joke. And stuff like that in the, in the UFC. Then they spun off and had tried to have their own, uh, yeah, their own fight promotion. Didn't go, well. there's still a brand though. I don't know who they sell to. I, when I was like twenty nine to thirty two, I wore a lot of affliction. Oh uh, yeah, I had. I, I think I had two affliction, uh, two affliction shirts at some point, and then a bunch of other off brand shirts that had a similar theme to them. But I got rid of them real quick. I never wore. I never wore Ed Hardy though. Never touched my body. Same here, Nikolai. Would not ever. So I have good news for our listeners. We're not going to keep uh, uh, bagging on Joe Rogan, although I think we're, we're generally fair to him. Like uh, the apology was genuine. I don't think he has ill intentions. I think he just, you know, goes down a rabbit hole like many of us do online, except he does it with individuals sitting in front of him who are trying to push some of these narratives. Uh, Nikolai, we're going to break down UFC Fight Night Strickland versus Herman. Look, is it. Um, is it? Hermanson. I'm sorry, Hermanson. Hermanson. That's, not, that's... Dave Wee, not Dave. <laughs> not Dave Pee Wee Herman. Nick, I think I will refer to uh, Jack Hermanson as Herman from now on. I'm kind of, I'm kind of into that. I as I was saying it, I was thinking something isn't right. He's not fighting Ed Herman. Who is John Strickland fighting this weekend? Oh, that's funny. You at least you thought at least you thought Ed Herman. I'm yes. such a moron. I was like Dave Dave Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and for the record, Ed Herman used who? to fight at 185 in the division of these two gentlemen here. Nick, uh, I'll be honest with you. A lot of people bag on this card. Um, is it full of names? Absolutely not. Is does it have the promise of like a bunch of 
pretty legit prospects. Yeah, man. Does it have uh, some exciting fights on the horizon? Absolutely, man. Like there, there are a few, a handful of matchups that I'm pretty excited about. And I did just a little bit of research on some of the undercard fights as well. Um, some decent stuff down there, man. It's not, it's not a terrible card. It will make for an exciting night. And, and I am looking forward to it, especially considering we're just coming off of a weekend of no UFC. We did have um, Khabib's show, Eagle FC 44, even though he just bought the event, I guess he actually bought the promotion from someone else and he's going to be promoting under that name. Nick, overall, pretty decent card, man. We had Ray Borg, uh, uh, Ramazan Kuramagomedov, which nobody knows who he is, but he's 10 and 0 and, and he, you know, is from Dagestan. That's got to mean something. We had guys like Rashad Evans picking up wins, Sergey Kartanov, who dominated Taron Spung, who, by the way, like 14-0 in boxing, which I didn't realize that's what he's been doing over the last few years. Uh, Jorgen DeCastro, former UFC fighter. A few, like, intriguing matchups to watch, and I actually followed it. I wanted to support the alternative to uh, the UFC. I also caught at least the main event of the Bellator where Ryan Bader walked away with a very close, very boring decision over Valentin Moldovsky. Uh, Nikolai, there's Ruski's yeah. fighting and, left and, and uh, right. Ben Henderson. Uh, ben That's Steve right. Henderson, who, um, who should have... You know, should have lost the title to Frankie Edgar in that rematch. Um, he uh, grabbed another split decision. Split decision, smooth. Yes, sir. Uh, nice guy, though. I've always, I've always, you know, puts a lot of faith in the man upstairs, Jesus Christ. But um, through him, all things. Um, but yeah, I like, I like Bendo, dude. Uh, he he just beat he beat a guy by split decision. Granted, who was on the 19 fight win streak. So good, good for Ben Henderson. I believe that was the last fight. I like of his Ben, ben Henderson's always. It was. He's always been a really, uh, really good fighter. He's 38. I think his wife's going to go pro. Um, you know, he's talking. I think he'll talk to Khabib. We'll, we'll see. I like when these guys go out on their own terms. And, like, yeah, he, his, his Bellator career wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't great. I think after he got knocked out by, um, by RDA knocked out Bendo, right? After he got knocked out by RDA, um, I f- you know, I feel like his... He he dropped a level, kind of like, uh, you know, he's just a guy. He's a guy from the pre from the previous generation, like kind, you know, kind of like Pettis. He had his he had his elite phase, and is still has still been performing at a at a high level, but not a not like a, an absolutely like top, not a top five in the UFC level for sure. No, I actually think his Bellator record ended up being about even something like six and six. So you're right, like not- five and five and six. Um, yeah, I, I think maybe six and six yeah. now with this win. Yeah, it's it's tricky because he was the UFC champion. A lot of people felt like he lost a lot of his title defenses, even the bout in which he won the title against Frankie Edgar. You mentioned uh, this earlier, right? So he's not a UFC champion that a lot of people truly believed was clear-cut number one. And then he got, I think he got smoked by, uh, was it Anthony Pettis before he was dominated by Rafael Dos Anjos? So so you know it it was just kind of like he was barely teetering at the top of a division that wasn't incredibly strong at the time even though we may have thought it was um especially compared to now but but anyway Nick let's let's get into what everybody came here for UFC fight mate Strickland versus Hermanson we're going to change it up just a little bit we're going to try this since this is kind of a lower level card not one with a lot of names um Nick and I are each going to take the main event and the co-main event we're going to break it down in depth and then the rest of the fights, we're going to make our regular draft picks the way that we normally do. Uh, we're just going to give you a little bit less of a breakdown, just kind of give you the winner, maybe uh, a reason or two as to why we're picking that winner. Uh, Nikolai, I believe it is your first pick this time. And I know that you have that uh, co-main event. You want to go with the co-main event first. I'll, I'll then pick and break down the main event, and then you can pick the fight after that. 
Yeah, I think that works. Um, all right, this is a co-main event. Uh, uh, Punahili Soriano, Hawaiian fighter, um, extreme couture fighter, I believe, uh, fighting against Nick Maximov, who um, it fights out of uh, Nick D- fights with Nick Diaz. He's out there with the boys in, I assume, in Stockton. Oh yeah. Um, very very strange when I see when I see a, t- a former tough winner when I see um, Triziano Duadu uh, like um, that this is the co-main event spot I don't really understand the rationale I would even put Julian Arosa with for his penchant for excitement and Steve Peterson uh, in this spot maybe even Sam Alvey Phil Hawes like I'm just surprised but for whatever reason at middleweight this is the fight. And this is, it's actually, it's an interesting, difficult to pick matchup. Um, Purili Serrano coming off of a loss, I believe, to Brendan Allen. Um, although he, after knocking out Todorovic in, uh, in pretty brutal fashion, uh, Todorovic, I'm sorry, in, uh, in pretty brutal fashion. He's a southpaw, um, former state wrestling champion, and a, um, a heavy hitter. Heavy hitter, but... His frequency is not great, and his technique is he he fights like a guy that was a wrestler first. Like he's got a lot of power, but he loads up, and he can throw arm he can throw kind of looping uh, punches versus straight punches, um, and he he kind of overcommits and, and leaves his chin out there a bit, but he's got bombs, uh, and when he and when he lands, he can he can do some he can do some serious damage. On the other side, you've got Maximov, who at 185, we can just call Nick Maximov Big Or Gillespie. He is a guy <laughs> who is just going to be extremely, you know, he's, he's a couple weight, weight uh, classes above Gregor Gillespie. But like Gillespie, um, Maximov is a extremely good and extremely tenacious uh, takedown artist. That's what do you he's think he's doing. on anywhere close to that level in his wrestling mix? No, wrestling I didn't. Uh, no, I, I, I would. Yeah, I was just thinking in terms of his style. Um, he just like a going, pressure wrestler. He's not, yeah. he's not. Yeah, he's not credentialed the way that Gillespie is. But he, Nick Maximov, is going to do one thing in this fight, which is go after, go, go after takedowns. Um, yeah, and that's just that's just his his approach to fighting. Very similar to the way. Uh, Gillespie is. I really just want to make the Gregor Bigor joke for what it's worth. Thanks for question. <laughs> question. It. There's, a, there's break, also like up. a like a second element to it, Nick, where Nick Maximov, uh, presumably of a Russian heritage, like there, there's Igor in Bigor, so like there's there's like a triple triple. Uh, Thanks. Thank, I yeah. Thanks. That was worth it. That was definitely worth interrupting me. Um, <laughs> oh, you motherfucker! So <laughs> I, I think so. What you're gonna have here is Maximov, who's got the longer reach. Um, looking to get looking to get inside and shoot and take down the the state champion wrestler in Soriano and Soriano is going to want to do damage um, as Maximov's coming in. So the question is, if Soriano, oh, it really comes out of this. If Soriano can sprawl and keep this on the feet, he should be able to do enough damage because Maximov's striking defense isn't awesome. Um, and then if, but the opposite is Maximo could end up just like on top of him, uh, for the entire fight, you know, maybe, maybe catching a choke. 
It's really tough to call. Also, it's worth noting Maximov has been, you know, if you check out his Instagram, he's been at Wildcard Boxing uh, training with Freddie Roach. I don't know what that means or how much he was there. But, uh, and on Tapology, people are overwhelmingly picking Soriano, thinking that he'll have the TD defense um, uh, to, either, to keep the fight standing and do enough damage uh, on the feet. In a, in a lot of ways, this has similarities to the, to the main event. Um, where you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a striker and it's a real striker grappler matchup. Although in this case, this the the uh, striker also has a pretty decent uh, takedown, you know, takedown defense. I think that <sighs> so tough to go with. I'm actually gonna go against most of Tapology and pick Maximov. Uh, and the reason why is Soriano hasn't shown in his fights that he can be, uh, that his strike, that he, he's, he really clearly loves to strike, and he can be over-aggressive and less technical and less disciplined with his strikes, which I think is going to provide Maximov um, with enough openings to keep this fight where he wants it, um, to tire out Soriano and to make him more uh, eager and aggressive which will beget more takedowns. So I'm not super secure about uh, about this pick because if Soriano stops like the first two or three shots and Maximov has to eat a bunch of punches, he could end up looking really damaged. But I'm going to go with Maximov um, to sp spend enough time in top control. And I predict this will kind of be an annoying, uh, an annoying fight to watch. Um, but that's what I think. I think we'll get 29-28 or 30-27 uh, Maximov. I don't think he'll get a choke, but I wouldn't rule it out either. So that's, yeah, um, that's my... It's a, it's a pretty nice in-depth breakdown, Nick. I, I'm going to disagree with you. Oh, thank pick. you. Oh, oh, um, oh, yeah. I mean, Soriano's a minus 1,900. I mean, he's a minus 1,900 favorite. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. A minus 190. Yeah. My, I mean, it's a minus one ninety favorite. I'm yeah. I I almost disagree with me on the pick. I I could see it going. <laughs> I could see it going either way. I just watched. I just watched Soriano strike, and I'm like, I if Ma, if Maximov calls his shots right, I I just I could. In these cases where I can't decide, I tend to I tend to go with the grappler. But but he, I'll let me. You do your, you know. I'm not going to push back a lot, but hit me. What do you got? No, but feel, feel free to push back. Like nothing wrong with this being a conversation. So I just feel like Nick Maximov is predominantly like a, like a forward pressure grappler. Doesn't have the wrestling background that even Soriano has, right? Being a state champion, at least at the high school level. Soriano's at least as athletic as Maximov. Soriano has better stand-up, arguably has better wrestling. He has oh, serious yeah. power in his hands. I, but yeah, Nick can do well if he gets top position. You're right. I think he's going to have the advantage if he can get into that position. Maybe he will at some point in the fight. I just feel like training with the people that he trains with, like how many good fighters come out of uh, that, that camp, uh, that Stockton camp with Nick and Nate Diaz? Like any at all besides those two guys? And even there, like those two guys are not really elite. They're certainly... Punaheli above Poliana Soriano level at this point in his career, but they're not elite. Nick Maximov seems to be the best prospect coming out of that camp, not named Diaz. And 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 for the, like as much as he's athletic and he has his strengths, I don't I don't think he has a well-rounded enough game uh, to beat Soriano, who trains in Vegas. Now it's to Nick's benefit that this is in a small cage, so I think that's going to help him. Right, he's going to have less room to close before he can engage in a in a kind of clinch or, or takedown situation against the fence. 
But I, I've got Soriano. I think his power is going to be scary for Nick. But if Nick takes that Khabib approach of just hanging on to Soriano no matter what happens, just just dogged, relentless grappling, um, even if it's against the fence without a takedown, he can he can take this fight. So I also see the benefit for you. This is, would be a two-point pickup if this does work out with you since uh, Nick Maximov is a plus 170 underdog. So definitely some benefits for you in making that pick, Nick. So uh, I can't really argue with you too much. Let's get into the main event, Nick. Jack Hermanson versus Sean Strickland. I believe it's Jack Hermanson who is ranked above Strickland. So records are pretty similar, right? Strickland is 24 and 3. Hermanson is 22 and 6. Uh, one's got 27 fights. One's got 28. Very very close. Both have fought some pretty high-level competition. Both guys are 6-1 with a similar reach. I think Hermanson has a bit of the edge there. Both are pretty high-output pressure strikers, right? Both guys have good ground and pound with Hermanson having the more tricky submission game, particularly the Armin guillotine that he's finished a couple times and almost tapped Jacare with. I think Hermanson's best bet is to get top position so he can work his submissions and ground and pound um, because that's where he, I think, has the clearest edge as long as he's on top. For Strickland, the goal is to push forward standing with the straight punches while taking advantage of the opportunities to get top position, as he normally does, right? Like, uh, the top game isn't his, his A game, but he does go for it. Interestingly enough, particularly when he hurts opponents, he goes for takedowns. I think partially at least because he doesn't really believe in the power that he has, the finishing power. Um, Strickland's losses are to high-level competition. He lost to Kumar Usman, Santiago Bonzanebio, Elizio Zaleski dos Santos, right? These guys are all extremely athletic. They're very skilled. They're very high-level. Um, Hermanson doesn't really have the power, the wrestling, or the variety to match those guys, in my opinion. Hermanson's losses are to Cesar Ferrer earlier in his UFC career, Tiago Santos, Jared Cannonier, Marvin Vittori. These guys have the athletic edge over Hermanson. They hit hard, and on top of being kind of top 15-level competition at least, right? Strickland should be the more athletic guy in this matchup with the potential strength and wrestling advantage, I think, but he doesn't have the power advantage that those guys have over Hermanson, that just brute strength. Um, and... and I, I should say more than just brute strength. It's the power in his hands, right? Like he has high output, not a whole lot of pop. This will be a battle of, I think, pressure and jabs. Whoever can get his jab going will have success pressuring forward. For Hermanson, he needs to pressure Strickland into a takedown or back take against the fence. His jab is kind of the key to that, right? He likes to um, he likes to engage with the striking, and then as soon as his opponent goes in with a, let's say, 1-2, he'll duck under, get that single leg, get a takedown, or duck under and push you up against the fence and work his takedown game. Strickland's entire game is based on the jabs and crosses, kind of looping right hands occasionally to mix up the cross. So if he can't get his jab going as Hermanson establishes his own jab, he'll be on the back foot defending takedowns rather than landing his own right hand. Strickland's advantage is that the fight will start in his preferred zone with them meeting in the center of the cage on their feet, right? Hermanson will have to work to get his game going at the beginning of every round, and getting takedowns is really tiring work. Both guys are well-conditioned, and it usually takes a lot of velocity to hurt either of them. Both seem to have heart, at least to survive a tough fight. This will go to decision unless Hermanson can catch an opportunistic submission during a grappling transition, which is possible, though not likely, because we haven't seen a lot of Strickland's ground game, but I hear really good things about it. People that have trained with him, including Michael Bisping, have said that he has a tricky ground game, surprisingly. Or if Strick, uh, like the fight can be finished if Strickland can do enough damage to leave Hermanson physically beaten enough to get kind of overwhelmed and TKO'd late in the fight. Um, 
Hermanson needs to get his jab going, which will set up his takedowns. I think he'll have a hard time getting his pressure game going and landing his jabs. I also think he'll have trouble taking Strickland down. Hermanson is more hittable in the pocket, even though he has pretty good counters. Strickland's at his best, keeping the fight in the pocket, where his awkward head movement and propensity to, to kind of counter the counter will serve him well. Hermanson will give him the range he wants early. Eventually, Hermanson will likely have to step back because of the output Strickland has, and that's where Strickland's game will start to get going, I think. But Hermanson, like, if you watch that fight against Vittori, there's an argument to be made that he won rounds three, four, and five, man. He started putting serious, aggressive combos together. It just seemed like Vittori had more power when he was throwing. Um, he looked good in uh, throughout the second half of that fight, and there's a good chance that Strickland starts to slow down a little bit toward the second half of the fight if he really works hard in the first half, and then Hermanson can take over. Um I look the the value here is is leaning uh, making me lean toward Hermanson because I I think like just the odds are are a little bit too wide apart considering the matchup here. Um, my instinct is to pick Sean Strickland, but I think I'm gonna go with Hermanson because of that two point value. So like officially the the pick is Strickland, but I'm gonna take Hermanson because the odds are too wide apart, and I want those two points if it does work out in his favor. I might change this pick, but as of right now. Um, picking Hermanson in our draft competition, buddy. It's locked in forever. What's that? Locked in forever. Um, uh, what, like, what you, yeah. What's your take this on this? This is one? a. I mean, this is a tough one to pick, particularly because Sean Strickland's so unlikable. Jack Hermanson's pretty. The Swede is pretty likable. He seems like a good guy. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I do agree. Strickland's much more athletic. It is going to be in a, a a smaller cage, right? But he's got he's got really good footwork. Terrific, like just terrific basic boxing. Um, and he's going to be faster, I think. Um, so the way for Jack Hermanson, I think, to win this fight is to is to make it an ugly fight. As you were saying, he's got to get him up against the cage. He's got to like lean on him heavy. I mean, Hermanson's no quitter. He re- he fought, you know, nope. he, he's fought. Um, he's gotten stopped. Although by he a looked like a people. quitter earlier in his career against like Tiago Santos and stuff, but he's clearly developed his mental game quite a bit. Since not yeah, not against not against Vittori, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and not against Gastelum. Like he um, actually, I can't remember if he took any damage against Gastelum, but certainly uh, not. Gastelum against was like a forty-five second fight. I think he uh, heel hooked him almost immediately, but he yeah, didn't take him yeah. down immediately. Not against yeah, not against Shavazian either. Like he looked really, you know, he looked really good there. But that's a that's a whole other story. Um, yeah. I think the, I think the he's a guy that gets stronger a... over the course of a fight. Uh, where Strickland also is known for his cardio. That's why this will be a fun fight to watch. And I will be rooting for Hermanson, it... by the way, for sure. I'll be rooting for Hermanson. I but I do think that um, we have we have not seen. It's been a long time since we've seen anyone really break. Uh, break Sean Strickland's stride and and style and um, make him like make it so that Strickland's not leading the dance um, in a fight and the guys that have done that were either um, incredible like incredibly creative um, and dynamic strikers or super or super powerful like world-class wrestlers and Hermanson's neither of the Hermanson's neither of those things, um, so I think I'm picking I'm picking Strickland. I'd love for Jack Hermanson to win this fight. I think we end up with a pretty clear cut like 49-46 decision, um, and I could see, you know, I I could see Hermanson's face looking 
uh, looking pretty bruised and, and cut up at the end of it after being on the, the other end of Strickland's job. Yeah, I can see that happening. Uh, by the way, just real quick, uh, Strickland did like a video, uh, I guess, on his feed of like a tour of his apartment. And Nick, this guy who's got... Uh, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I couldn't watch it. I didn't want to watch it. I can't. Oh, Nick, it's, it's, it's uh, like for a guy that's been in the UFC for as long as he has to have just like this really small one bedroom apartment in Vegas where rent, as far as I can tell, is not very high. Like everything's kind of crappy and a lot of it's kind of broken. Um, it's basically a studio with an extra room. Like, like for a guy. Sounds like, this, sounds like my life after a divorce. Anyway, you, you, my friend, you, my friend are paying for two New York city apartments. He's paying for one Vegas apartment after like, I don't know, 10, 15 UFC fights. My point is just like, this is another argument about fight or pay. Maybe Sean Strickland would have lived like yeah. this if he was a millionaire. I don't know. But like the fact that a guy this deep into his UFC career is living in those circumstances, like that just shows you how shitty things are for the highest level oh, fighters. Things, things are shitty for the fighters, but I also want, I could also see Sean Strickland walking out of that apartment and having like a $120,000 Range Rover that's all tricked out and customized. I guess that wouldn't be shocking. <laughs> Although he, he he seems like he would probably rather have a pickup truck with an American flag hanging from the back of it, maybe a Confederate flag. Who knows? Uh, Nikolai, so, <laughs> what, what is your uh, what, what is your next pick, buddy? Oh man, the pressure's on me now for this, huh? Um, yes, sir. Looking at this card, I'm gonna go. Um, sure, I'll do this one. Um. That's such a long pause that you'll probably need to uh, <laughs> to cut it out. I, I yeah, I'm gonna go. Um, you know, it's hard to count him out completely, but I'm gonna go with Phil Hawes um, to bounce back after his his knockout loss to Curtis, um, and and uh, probably win a decision against the super durable Sam Aldi. Uh. Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. It's just like risky with Phil Hawes with, with his shitty chin and his cardio. But Sam Alvey hasn't showed a lot of power. I think he's six fights in a row, uh, in a row now without a win. So he's not in a good place at this point in his career. So I, I'm, I'm there with you on the pick. I probably would have picked it a little bit later because it's hard to trust fucking Hawes after his last few performances. Uh, my first pick is going to be in the Jailton Almeida-Danilo Marquez matchup. Um, Marquez is like not really great standing. He's known as a grappler, but he's not really high level there either. Almeida is like a legit grappler. Like if you look at his topology, right? Like not only is he on a huge win streak, uh, in MMA, but he's on a big win streak in the grappling world as well. Dude's no joke. He's coming off of a win over an undefeated Ruski, uh, maybe a Dagestani fighter. Uh, I, I may be wrong, uh, in Nasruddin, Nasruddinov, um, off of contender series. I think he's going to do his thing against uh, Daniel Marquez. I, I think the one area in which Marquez is strong, Almeida is just better. He's just a better prospect, in my opinion. Um, I got the same pick there. Coming up next, I'm going to go... Um, I think I'm going to have to take uh, Julian Arosa um, over Steven Peterson. I think it'll be a fun fight. Um, and I sometimes like I sometimes uh, like Peterson. He was kind of a dick to Chase Hooper, but I, I thought it was sort of uh, it was sort of funny. 
But I thought Arosa looked really good in his last fight against Air Jordan. Even in defeat, like he usually looks good. And and Steven Peterson doesn't have the things to get Julian Arosa in trouble. Uh, when Arosa gets in trouble, it's because he's doing crazy offense and like um, leaving himself open. Like Steven right. Peterson's not isn't a guy known um, for you know he's got some I guess some KO victories, but he's not. Uh, He's not a guy known uh, for having remarkable power uh, in the UFC, and I, I don't think he's going to have anything that Julian Arosa hasn't dealt with already. Yeah, this is the battle of the journeyman, except Julian Arosa is like, is I guess more a little bit more of a gatekeeper at this point in his career, where like you get past him, you're top fifteen material, you're a prospect that's like ready. Whereas Steven Peterson, like he barely got by Chase Hooper. Like that was a close competitor fight, and Chase Hooper is not really UFC level. Uh, the guy, they each have the same number of losses, but Arosa has seven more wins against higher level competition. I, I'm there with you. I think Julian Arosa is going to be more dynamic. Somehow, and, and... somehow Peterson's younger than Arosa. I guess it's just because Arosa looks young that I assumed he was younger. Oh, I, I would have. He's thirty. Well, I, I, I would have figured he's that. He's thirty-two against the thirty-one-year-old Steven Peterson. Yeah, I would have guessed that Steven Peterson a little younger. I mean, I've known Julian Arosa from back in his uh, Ultimate Fighter days. Like this, we're talking about like the season with uh, yeah. Artem Lobov, who's who's already retired, right? That's who he lost to on that season. He actually had a, a few, like he had three wins. I'm, I'm looking at his record. He did pretty well in that season, man. But uh, but we're talking about back in 2015. So I would have thought that Julian Arosa might be a few years older than Peterson, who you know was more of a new new UFC guy. And and by the way, trains out of. Um, trains out of four to seven May, which is a pretty good camp. He's just, you know, let's face it, he's a, he's a journeyman. Um, my next pick is going to be in the Alexis Davis Julie, Julia Storyalenko matchup. I'm going to take Alexis Davis. I think she's just more dynamic. She might not yeah. be super athletic, but she's going to be better standing. She should have the ground game edge. There's a chance that Julia can ground her and hold top position, but I, if that does happen, I don't expect that that'll happen for more than a round. I think Alexis Davis yeah, just has the, so much more experience and so much more skill. This is a weird one too. Stoliarenko has lost, you know, has lost her previous two UFC fights, and I think she had a couple other. I don't know if she had an incident on the scale or had a couple, at least one fight canceled for not making weight. I don't remember, but she's she's her UFC run has been kind of like troubled. So I, I actually question if this one will happen. Um. That's a fair point. Coming um, up, she, she she did have to pull out against Julia Vila before that fight got rescheduled last year. Uh, coming up next, I'm going to take uh, Miles Johns to defeat uh, Sexy Mexi John uh, John Castaneda. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you. I think Miles Johns wrestling. Uh, you know, he's only slept up once in the UFC so far. I think his wrestling will will give him the edge. I think his jab is going to be a factor in this matchup. And Castaneda shouldn't be uh, underrated. Like this is going to be a fun fight to watch. One of the fights that I'm looking forward to. Uh, but I've got Miles Johns because of the wrestling dynamic. Um, even though John Castaneda may be a little bit more dangerous. Um, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Denise Bondar and Malcolm Gordon. Um, Malcolm Gordon's coming off of his first UFC win after looking pretty embarrassing uh, uh, prior to that. Denise Bondar, like, hasn't really fought high-level competition. In fact, his competition's been terrible so far, but he has shown some pretty good skill, particularly on the ground. He's like, okay, standing, but on the ground, he's particularly dynamic. Malcolm Gordon, what he's shown is that, like, he has a terrible chin and he needs a takedown to really do well at the UFC level against, you know, a, a pretty mediocre opponent. Denise Bondar should have the edge in the wrestling and in the grappling, so I've got Bondar in that one. Got it. Let me just make a make a note of that. Um, 
I think this is going to be this has got the potential uh, to be a real sleeper uh, fight for the evening. But I'm going to take uh, the the always impressive, I think, uh, Canadian uh, Hakim Dewadu to bounce back from his uh, his defeat. You know, he had been on a, uh, a five, you know, he was on a five fight uh, win streak, um, including a split decision over Zabera uh, Tukagov. Um, and it went over that super super tough guy, Kyle Bochniak. Um, and then he lost to Evloev, who's like a real, you know, a real rising star prospect who was just supposed to be in an in a amazing fight. He was he was fighting uh, Tapuria, right? Was that the fight that got canceled? Uh, was Evloev Tapuria? Yes, yes, yes. That, that's what Evloev yeah. pulled out of. And, uh, and he's going up... A, and he's going to get up against. Uh, this is actually this could be a, a fight of the night. I think he's going up against uh, uh, Mike Trezano. Um, super super tough dude. Um, ultimate was he? He was an Ultimate Fighter winner. Yeah, I think he was a finalist. Finalist. Um, so I am gonna go. I'm gonna go with Duwadu here, but I think this is gonna be. I think this is gonna be super close. Um, and it's in a tough fight. I just uh, I like I like the mixture of his skills. I like his athleticism. He just has to he has to be ag- aggressive here and not let Trezano um, dictate too much dictate too much of the pace. I think if anything, Duato sometimes like is a little too patient. Nick, I was wrong. I think Trezano did win the tough finale over Joe okay. Giannetti in 2018. Um, yeah, I, I I've got I, I've got uh, Hakeem Duato in this one as well, but. We got to keep in mind that Trezano's coming off of a win over Ludovic Klein, and that dude is a motherfucking monster. He was a huge uh, favorite in that he's, matchup. He is, but he hang, but he hang, but he hangs around. All, he hangs around too much, looking for the perfect shot, and that's that's going to be hard against a guy like Trezano. Yeah, I think it was Trezano's pressure that tired out the more athletic uh, Klein. I'm going to take in my next pick. Um, I think I'm going to go with Shafkat Rachmanov to beat Carlston Harris. I've underestimated Carlston Harris before. I'm probably making a mistake doing it again. It's just it's tough to doubt Shafkat Rachmanov, who's looked really, really good in his first couple of UFC fights. You couldn't really ask for more. He beat two much more experienced uh, Brazilian fighters who I think maybe both have a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and he beat them both by submission within two rounds. Nick, he got a win over Alex Oliveira, way more experienced. He got a win over Michel Prezeros by submission in the second round in his last bout. Granted, he was way bigger than Prezeros. Uh, uh, Rachmanov is a particularly big guy. And so is Carlston Harris. Both of these guys are big for the division. They're big for one. Uh, is it 155 or 170? Let me see. 170. 170. It is, it is 170, yeah. Carlston Harris is fucking scary, man. He's very powerful. He has a really good ground game. His chin, though, is a little bit of a question mark. His technique isn't super clean. Like, he, it almost looks like when he throws a cross, it somehow looks like a hammer, like a sideways hammer fist. It's the weirdest. When he throws a hook, also looks like kind of a hammer fist. Technique isn't really there, but he's effective. He's explosive. Covers distance, distance with a strike, so there's a lot of risk here. I think he's way too big of an underdog, but I'm going to take Shafkat Rachmanov, who's looked pretty perfect so far. Um, and I, this is one of my favorite fights on the card. Maybe my favorite fight, man. I'm really looking forward to this one. These are bright prospects and and i'm and i'm hoping for a split decision that makes them both look like winners yeah i like uh, there you go uh surprisingly picking the uzbek fighter um you know what a shock (laughs) what a shock so far Um, the uzbeks in the ufc have looked pretty damn good nick yeah um i'd agree with that we got a few fights uh left uh left to pick here I think I'm going to go with 
oh my god, this guy can be super boring. But I'm gonna go with Mark Andre Bar uh, Barrio um, to win uh, an ugly and probably boring decision against Chidi Enjuguani. Uh, um, just by vir by virtue of, of sl just slowing down the pace, leaning on him, keeping it, making it an ugly fight, and not letting, uh, just kind of smothering a, a Chidi Bang Bang. Yeah, I think smothering is right. I don't know about a lower pace. I think Mark Andre will need to just like fucking pressure with offense and and clinches. You're right. There will be some some clinch exchanges. I'm sure against the fence. Uh, Chidi is like actually really good standing. He's Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt, not a high level one. His takedown defense isn't awesome, and he doesn't react too well to pressure. He has really good kicks, but it's hard to get your kicks off when you're being pressured backwards. So I like Mark Andre Barriou to continue the row, man. He's been looking really good over his last couple of UFC fights after going 0-2 in his first two. Um, he's really become a lot more aggressive, started putting serious pressure on, and he, he seems to have even more power because of this renewed confidence in his hands. So I like Mark Andre Barriou in a pretty close matchup on paper. Um, we have basically two fights left to pick, Nick, but uh, you already have six picks. I'm going to make my sixth pick right now, and then we'll kind of give our opinions on the final fight, uh, see if that fight becomes one of our picks if there is a pullout from this card. I'm going to take Trey Sean Gore to beat Brian Battle. This was supposed to be the tough finale of the 29th season uh, between uh, Volkanovski, uh, uh, coached by Volkanovski and Brian Ortega. I think that uh, Brian Battle's a tough, gritty kid, but athleticism-wise, there's a big, big difference here. Treshawn Gore is, like, really explosive, really powerful standing. He's only 3-0 pro record, right? So on paper, um, doesn't look good for him. If they were in front of a 20,000-person crowd, maybe you would lean toward Brian Battle more likely. But Brian Battle, only 6-1, also very inexperienced. He's not nearly as athletic. He's not nearly as powerful. I don't know that Treshawn Gore will get tired. So I like Gore here, man. Guy's got serious power in his hands, both on the counter and offensively. As long as he can avoid takedowns, he should look good in this matchup. Um, and yeah, I, I agree you, with you. Do you agree with um, that pick? Yep. I do. I do agree with it. Um, the, uh, and then we've got Jason the last... Witt versus Philip Rowe. Yeah, yeah. Is this, is, this, is, this my, is this my pick or is this a... a, a uh, no, the, the, this will end up being a... Yeah, this will be a replacement pick for whichever fight pulls out due to COVID or, or bad weight cut or something. Yeah, I just I think a guy like Jason Witt who gets a win over uh, you know over someone is is tough as as Brian Barberina um, shouldn't really have a problem uh, with you know with Philip Rowe. It seems like with against heavy power um, that could be. Uh, Wit's Achilles heel, and that's not something that Rowe's going to bring to the table. Um, so I'm going to go with Wit over Rowe. Um, yeah, well, that's the thing. Jason Wit, really good offensive grappler, but his chin man is just not a good thing at all. Like, the guy gets hit clean. It's probably over. And Philip Rowe does have power. He has a lot of reach. He's a big guy. I'm going to lean with Philip Rowe on this one, but. Um, you know, it, like, I can see Jason Wit just out grappling him because Philip Rowe can look uh, not not dynamic to say the least off of his back. So it's a, it's a battle of two styles and I'm going to favor the power and reach of Philip Rowe over Jason Witt. Uh, Nikolai, that'll do it for this card broken down in, in pretty good pacing. I think um, very curious to see how it turns out. The, the more like the episode goes, the more I'm kind of going back to favoring Strickland. Um, I think I'm just going to stick with Strickland, Nikolai. Uh, like I know, I know I did this last episode too, where I kind of changed my pick as we we're reviewing all of our picks, but I think I'm going to pick. Well, I understand Sean that Strickland when you, when you all. heard me, 
Yeah, of course. I mean, you heard my analysis of, of the fight That's after you went, and I would I would I would change my pick too. You coward. Um, okay, so there's one <laughs> thing. There's definitely like it listen, <laughs> MMA MMA news. The MMA news and the MMA scene and MMA personalities have been so fucking cringy lately. But the only person who has me excited right now about the year in fights is the king of cringe himself. The word is, and this came, comes from a reliable source, Chael Sonnen, that Triple oh, C yeah. Henry Cejudo has re-entered the testing pool and specifically to compete at 145. I love this. I think it's it's a, it's a a decorated fighter, a a winner, a guy who hasn't taken too much damage in his career, who's just at the tail end of his athletic peak, looking to do something that's never been done before, which is win gold in three different weight classes. It's not happened in UFC in UFC. So that's a narrative that's a narrative I can get behind. Um, and I like I like Suhudo as a dorky a dorky heel personality. I think it's good for the sport and it makes the sport fun and is a lot better than the Stricklands and the McGregors and the John Joneses and all of these people who just make us look like douchebags for even liking MMA. So I'm all about it. I'd love to see Triple C Volkanovsky. I love the fact that Triple C told Volkanovsky he looks like someone left Matt Sarah in the dryer too long. One of the best jokes I've one of the best jokes I've heard in a while. Yeah, um, I first of all, I put very, very little stock into what Chael Sonnen says is MMA news. I don't know if you noticed there's a trend lately of like Chael Sonnen saying that something is going to happen, and then one of the people that he's saying it's going to happen to her is like, um, no, that's fake news. That was never even talked about. So I think Chael Sonnen is trying to see how much of MMA he can actually control and affect. And, and I think his goal is to like put something out there and hope that there's enough buzz to make the UFC and the fighters involved go, oh, yeah, no, we can do that. That's a good idea. Um, and I, so, I, look, do, do I think that he had a conversation with Henry Cejudo or Henry was like, I'm back in the USADA testing pool? Yes. Do I think that Henry was like, I'd love to fight at 145 against Volkanovski to accomplish this major thing, but I'll settle for fighting uh, Piotr Jan if I have to? Yeah, I, I think that he probably said that. I think this is Chael Sonnen kind of relaying the message and trying to make it a thing. Um Volkanovski doesn't have anybody on paper who's like a clear-cut number one contender to fight besides the guy that he already beat three times. So I can see this being the case. I would love to see it. But Chael Sonnen being the source, I mean, you might as well say that like Alex Jones is the source of your information. I, that holds very little uh, weight with me. I, I think he's more trying to manipulate and, and pull strings in the MMA world rather than actually giving you inside information. But uh, I, I would love to see it. I know, I know Triple C's been fighting for it and Dana White is more friendly to the idea now than he was a couple of months ago. It does seem like Triple C has switched his uh, kind of social media trash talk toward Piotr Yan rather than Balkanovsky because he, you know, he, he thinks that this is probably his way back into the UFC. Um, I, I do think that Piotr Yan might be a tougher matchup for him than Balkanovsky. I don't know that Piotr Yan is much smaller than Balkanovsky. Oh, I think, I think, I think, I think Piotr Yan is, I think, I think Yan is a tougher matchup. Um, and I just think the story of like, no one's won three titles, you know. Mighty yeah, Mouse yeah, can't claim that. Like nobody claimed. Nope. That's, that's Mighty, Mighty Mouse never even won a second title. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah. The second title guys are, are just McGregor and GSP. Um, uh, Cormier and uh, oh yeah, yeah, Couture. yeah. Cor um, it's just I guess the question yeah, is right, whether they right. did it. I forgot uh, whether yeah. they did it at the same time as holding the other belt. Um, I, I think there might be. One it doesn't matter. I think it doesn't matter if, right as long as yeah. Um, uh, yeah, 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 the I other think, thing worth noting is... Pull this off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
The other thing worth noting before we um, wrap up is, you know, McGregor's not fighting. He's still big news. In WWE right now, the Royal Rumble happened, and the two biggest stars on the show were Ronda Rousey and Brock Lesnar. You know, you like, you've got ex UFC stars um, who are bigger draws right now than anyone really in the UFC. Uh, it's they're hurt. They're hurting. They're hurting for big, uh, for big likable stars and. They've, you know, you've got Yuri coming out against Glover. That could be interesting. They're talk. They're now starting to talk about. Like, I love Usman, but they're talking about Usman potentially. His manager is starting to seed the notion of if he if he beats Leon Edwards of uh, moving up to middleweight and fighting Adesanya for that title. That's There's just the Leon Villas being on. a dirtbag like he normally is. He's just trying to make money from a big fight because he manages one of the fighters. But like clearly, the fighters have made it very clear but, they have no attention of fighting each other. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, that's the best next step for Usman if he wins this fight. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I still I tend to doubt they're going to do it. I mean, maybe if the UFC offers him. I don't know, ten million a piece. I think I think they would strongly consider it, but I think it's just a Liam Delazie's realizing he can make like, I don't know, uh, half a million dollars from that fight or, or more. So like, why not try and push it out there and, and see if he can make it happen the way that Chel Sonnen does? Except Ali Abdulaziz actually, you know, manages one of these two fighters. Um, but he's, you know, he's like, they're not really brothers. I mean, they're African, they're both African and that's good. That's strong. But you know, it's it's not really. It doesn't really mean much. Kind of like, come on, dude, Ali Abdulaziz. POS and and I hate that he controls so many of the levers in the mixed martial arts world. But um, I digress. Nikolai, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, covered some uh, current events at, at, at kind of sandwiched in between that. We had the Hermanson versus Strickland fight card that we broke down. Looking forward to watching this UFC this weekend and and looking forward to talking about it with you next week. What do we have on yeah, tap? Yeah, good show, uh, my following friend. Following Nikolai. Agreed, buddy. Uh, what do we have? Is it UFC two seventy one after that? Yes. But that is on, uh, yeah, wow, UFC 271, Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker coming up the weekend after this one, Nick. That That is going to be promising. At least the top couple of fights seem decent. Uh, Lewis Toibasa, oh, that's Eric Bronson Cannonier. Yeah, yeah, you got you got must-see TV. Like, listen, Nazrat Hakparas, Bobby Green is must-see TV. That'll be fun. Yeah. You got Roxy Mataferi's retirement fight against this up-and-comer right. Casey O'Neill. That'll be Win or loss, that'll be emotional. I actually had a dream about that last night. I just realized, holy shit. I dreamt about, uh, never mind. We'll talk about that later. Um, Jared Cannonier, Jared Derek Brunson. That is, I love in this run that, that Brunson's on. That's going to be a very, very interesting fight. Ty Tuivasa, we'll find out how legit he is. Will he be doing a shoey or will he be eating canvas against Derek Lewis? And I'm not that I haven't worked up that much excitement about Israel Adesanya Robert Whittaker too, um, probably because the first I, I have trouble seeing it going a different way, um, and then yeah I didn't think I mentioned Ky, you know Kyler Phillips who I believe is uh, is is must see TV um, fighting against uh, Marcelo Rojo who was um, had a very very exciting uh, fight and showed a lot of tenacity against uh charles air jordan my yep. instinct is that kyler phillips is a little bit of a level above but that's going to be a barn burner of a fight yeah i mean it, it, to be honest like just looking at it it's not a it's not at all at all a fantastic card it is like a medium card at best for the most part but it's an I, it's an I, it's I am, an action card 
Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And I would say this weekend's card is also an action card. It's just uh, obviously Adesanya and Whitaker are bigger names. Lewis and Tuivasa are are pretty big names in the heavyweight division. Cannoneer and Brunson, top contenders. Uh, Bobby Green's a name. Andre Arlovsky is obviously in everyone's memory. So, yeah. you know, we got Alex Perez, Matt and, Schnell, and, and I know you've gone through some of these, but Alex Perez, Perez Matt Schnell is a pretty high-level 125-pound fight. So, so like, yeah, it's a, it's not a pay, truly a pay-per-view-worthy card. I, like, are you going to drop 75 bucks on this one? I mean, I generally drop 75 bucks on them all, but, uh, remain, I mean, we'll, we'll talk, I don't know, that's, that's a conversation for later, but we got Fair my enough. boy, William Knight, who you, I always pick and you pick against out of Hartford. We got Hanato Moicano. Will he get KO'd again against Alexander Hernandez? That is an excellent prelim fight of like yeah, dudes who were supposed to dudes who were supposed to be, but kind of weren't like yep. trying to, you know, trying to hang around and catch a second win. You got Carlos Olberg. Look at me just like zipping through all this shit. Like I already know everything <laughs> on the card. You got Carlos Olberg, who looked amazing against Kennedy and Shakuru <laughs> until, until he ran out of gas and got completely mauled uh, going up against Fabio Sharon. So like, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty excited. I mean, I like any of those. Any of those last couple of fights. Alexander Hernandez.